Scripture reading, Acts 11, 19 through 30. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began spreading, speaking to Jew, Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he, when he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Taurus and looked for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians and first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the raid of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gifts to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Thank you, Kayla, for that uh, reading of scripture. And uh, uh, have, have you met Kayla, our worship leader? Yeah, so that's Kayla. Some of you know that uh, there's, a, there's a drummer here named Harrison. And just, I don't know if we've given, like, made an actual announcement about, about this, but just uh, last month, they were married. And so let's, let's congratulate them on their wedding. Oh, there you go. There's Harrison right down there, front row, but you'll see him, hear him drumming, uh, and, and uh, so we're grateful to have Harrison and Kayla uh, here leading worship with us, and uh, some of you noticed I did a little bit of a quick change. I didn't want to, you know, stay in my uniform the entire time this morning, but uh, yeah, I was wearing a Mariner's jersey for, I think, what should be obvious reasons. Uh, <laughs> over the years, uh, we have worn jerseys of home teams that have won in the playoffs. I remember a few years there where we were all wearing Seahawks jerseys, a couple of 12 still, still here on a Sunday uh, where they have a game. But all of those years, no Mariners playoffs and no Mariners playoffs victories. And, and you know, I've been a Mariner fan from the beginning. So, so uh, thank you for allowing me to share that hometown pride uh, today. All right, well, we continue in our series of looking at our congregation and where we are as a journey, and we are journeying forward into our future. This is a season in which we're starting to talk about charting our course or, or discerning where God is leading us as a congregation. What will define us moving into the future? We, we are well aware that our world and our community has changed quite a bit over the history of North Creek, 
And we've changed as a congregation as well. And every so often, it, it uh, is befitting of the leaders of the congregation, uh, the session and the pastors, uh, to engage everyone in a corporate time of discernment. And that's what we are starting with this sermon series. So we have been following the, basically the five essentials that were a part of the early church that the early church didn't leave home without on their journey into the world. And we are f- three down and two to go. So we started out with, um, with proclamation, the, the Greek word kerygma, the message of the gospel of Jesus as Savior. That's first and foremost. And then we looked at diakonia, which is service. Service, compassionate, caring for those in need in, within the body of Christ, but also in our community and even across the world. Then last week, we talked about didache, which is teaching, and it's uh, requisite companion learning, which is a part of the church from the very beginning. The idea of there being a disciple who isn't actively engaged in lifelong learning along the way of Jesus just doesn't even come up for the church in most of its history. We are learners because we follow a teacher, Jesus Christ. Today, we're talking about community or fellowship. And so the sermon title is, what we have to prepare for and pack for is relationship. Being willing to relate to others comes along with being a part of the church. We may at times feel like we want a relationship with God, yes, but we don't really feel like we need the relationships with others that go along with it. I've been searching my Bible for years and haven't found the out clause for that. Like, other believers come with being a believer. Look around. This is how it is in the body of Christ. And we're going to explore this today. Members of the church simply relating to each other. I think uh, if you get the idea in this sermon from this text that we read in, in Acts that, wow, it sure seems like it's really simple. It's just sort of like showing up and being together with other Christians, that that is really strategic and missional for the church. I think you're going to get the picture. Because it is. So as we travel forward into our future as a congregation, we need to be prepared to relate to others. The root of the Greek word koinonia is is really the word koine, which means common. Now, uh, some of you who are, have studied Scripture a little bit know that the New Testament was written in koine Greek, which simply is to say it was the common Greek, not the sco- high scholarly Greek, but the common Greek of the day. Now, koinonia is about sharing something in common with others. It brings up the concept of being a participant in something. Koinonia is about sharing in an activity or sharing a relationship or a close bond with another person. In the New Testament, koinonia begins with our relationship with God. 
Koinonia, or community or fellowship, starts as a description of our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And there is so much rich theology in the New Testament that talks about our communion with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. This relationship is at the heart of the Christian faith. But then it goes on to express itself in relationships one to another in the church. And the Holy Spirit is understood to have a vital role in this communion or this koinonia one to another in the church. And it is, uh, we see this in the classic Trinitarian benediction that most of us know quite well. It's written in 2 Corinthians 13, 13, and it's simply this, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the koinonia of the Holy Spirit be with you all. That was the Apostle Paul's benediction, his wish for the Corinthian church at the end of that second letter. And sometimes you hear your pastor saying that at the end of a worship service. But the key point here is that the Holy Spirit's role is is koinonia. Sometimes we say the communion of the Holy Spirit or the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. This abiding presence and also the unifying work of the Spirit among us. Now, with each of the five essentials, we have been noticing the Jesus connection because because the church is based on the person of Jesus Christ. The church is the body of Christ. You noticed that in this scripture reading about the church in Antioch, which was one of the first churches outside of Jerusalem that was planted and started to grow as the church started to expand in the known world of the Mediterranean in that day, that it was in Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. So important was that connection to their Lord and Savior that they became known within the church and probably outside the church as Christians, people associated with the name of Jesus Christ. Koinonia in the church is rooted in the special bond that Jesus had with his disciples as it's it's communicated and illustrated in the gospel accounts. And Jesus teaches his disciples, as they are in community with each other, particular virtues that they will need as they care for one another in community. And especially, this comes down to the the virtue of love. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. All of the one another's in the New Testament are commentaries on koinonia. Of special significance to the koinonia of the community of disciples that Jesus gathered around him is the call to surrender personal honor and importance for the sake of others. Jesus turns natural human dynamics, natural human uh, kind of dog-eat-dog, king-of-the-mountain competitive dynamics upside down and says audacious things like the first shall be last and the last shall be first and if you want to be the greatest of all become the servant of all 
From the very beginning of the church and into our future as a congregation, God's people are meant to be purposely together and relate to one another with encouragement. Let's take a look at being purposely together. This is the kindergarten level teaching on the church. Remember that book, you know, everything I, I ever learned, I learned in kindergarten. Bob Fogelm, I think, was who wrote it. It was like these life lessons that really are so profound, that are life-changing, that really are what we learned first. Sometimes the simplest lessons are the most profound. So let's look at the early church on just this simple point of being together. In the description of the early church that we're really keying on as the, the foundation of moving forward as a congregation, Acts 2, 42 through 47, the second thing the early church is recorded as doing is koinonia, fellowship. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, we talked about that last week, and to fellowship. And immediately important in this passage is the interplay of physical proximity and quantity of time spent together described by the word together. In the English biblical text, we see three instances of the word together that illustrate what this koinonia or fellowship was all about. Verse 44 says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. Common, the root of the word koinonia. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. The story of the early church is together, together, together. Being in close, literal fellowship with other disciples was the calling card of the early church. And it still works this way in the church. There's no way around it. Our commitment to being there, present, in the relational life of a congregation of believers is at the heart of a healthy Christian fellowship. Yes, sometimes that means absolute physical proximity, Someone's standing right there. I'm standing right here. We are in fellowship. It could mean staying in touch with someone via FaceTime or something like that. But the key thing is, is that it's an actual relationship between people who know one another's names. Which is why in the church, showing up matters. It matters a lot. It matters much more than we think. Yes, it matters because each of us shows up expecting, you know, if we don't show up, we may not get something that's good for our lives. But I want to encourage us as a congregation at this point in our history to also recognize that it matters we show up because when we don't show up, it diminishes everyone else's experience of koinonia. It really does. It's kind of the way, that works that way in families, right? Like if there's a member of our family who intentionally kind of stays away and they're too busy for things, 
the, the family table isn't quite the same as it would be without them. That's what it means to belong in a family, to be in a community. You matter. But there's, in addition to it being a, hey, I matter, that feels good, it also is a calling. It's a calling that says, oh, I matter. It matters that I'm there. It really does. Now, in our contemporary lives, particularly in our highly mobile and option-laden culture that we live in, There are countless reasons that we have not, not to show up at church gatherings. So many other opportunities and commitments that call for our attention. And on top of this, the COVID shutdown impacted congregations of disciples everywhere. Our habit of gathering together was interrupted. For some, it was a slight interruption that opened the door to new ways of relating, perhaps over Zoom meetings, small groups meeting over Zoom. Do you remember those? And some of us are still meeting uh, with distance, and, and, and we really appreciate that opportunity. But of course, for many of us who experienced Christian community virtually, we've Many of us have found our way back, and I'm looking at people, faces, and your names as people who, well, you showed up. Thank you. That makes a difference. Actually, to tell you something, so many of you showed up today that we ran out of bulletins. That's exciting. Yeah. For others, however, and, and I just need to be honest about this. Some of us are aware of this, maybe who might suspect that it's true. But I can tell you that, that it is true, and it impacts life in this congregation and other congregations quite a bit, is that for others, the interruption has settled into a new normal of disconnection from the body of Christ. This becomes a crisis of koinonia in the church. In my conversations with fellow pastors, I've yet to have a conversation with a pastor who says, yep, we are back to pre-pandemic numbers of people who attend worship. No one yet. From, from large churches with thousands of members down to small churches of just you know, 20 or 30 regular attenders across the board, None of our churches are back to that pre-pandemic strength. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But that's the context that we're in that this message finds us. And for some of us, it means that we found different ways of relating. And and especially reaching out to those of you who are watching this on live stream or maybe are going to catch this on video recording on YouTube later You belong, and you're a very important part of our congregation. Many of you uh, find yourselves with mobility issues or other types of of special needs where this really fits a need. And we're going to do our best to not only make this opportunity available to you into the future, but bring relationship into it uh, and and encourage you in ways that you can use your gifts uh, in Christian community. But we're also going to Keep on encouraging people that it matters that you show up. In all aspects of our church life, it really does matter that you show up. Um, you might wonder, what, is it, what does the event look like, the one that, that like everyone's expected to be there and I don't show up? You know, sometimes it, 
it gets the preponderance of most of us, and, and we just go forward. But in this era of church life, and it's not just our congregation, some of the events really are tough because very few people are there. And so this is an encouragement to continue to be together. And so we've been on this uh, theme in this series about traveling because we're traveling into the future together as a congregation. It's a time for us to, to kind of appreciate in a brand new way the importance and the blessing of travel companions. People who we simply share the journey with. You know, traveling on your own has its place. I've had the opportunity of traveling alone in some various places, and it's been a unique experience. But even then, uh, it's very helpful when you reach a destination and you get to know other travelers along the way. The idea that we are meant to go this alone is just foreign to what the church is all about. Traveling alone has its place, but in most instances, our journey is more enjoyable and more fulfilling when we have people to share it with, right? I love hearing stories when, when you come back from your travels and you share with me, who, first of all, who you traveled with, because sometimes it's with friends you've made in the congregation, and I just think, man, they must have had a great time with each other. And you've also shared with me the people who you've met on your journey. And some of those people are people that I know. <laughs> and it's always fun and delightful to do that. And I, it makes me reflect on the, the people who I've traveled with in my journeys and, and also the people that I've met in those particular destinations, new friends, uh, some of whom I still stay in touch with many years later. As the father of an adult daughter who recently traveled to the Mediterranean, to Italy and Greece. I am so grateful that my daughter was traveling with a friend. The bottom line in travel is that the journey simply wouldn't be the same without our companions. And the same is true of life in the church. It's not the same without our fellow companions on the journey. Let's spread the word to people that maybe we haven't seen in a while, you matter. You are missed. I know I may be preaching to the choir because I'm literally preaching to the choir uh, and preaching to the choir as a matter of, of speaking, but I think we all can be a part of getting that message out to people who we, may, we might run into or converse with that, that we miss our togetherness with you if we haven't seen someone in a while. Let's build a culture where we continue to show up in togetherness. Switching uh, to what in the early church did they do when they were together? There's one word that always rises to the surface, and it did in our text today, and that word is encouragement. Christians are together so that they can encourage one another. In Acts 11, we see the church traveling north from Jerusalem, uh, establishing a community of faith in Antioch. And, and Barnabas 
emerges as a significant leader in the church, not because of his preaching or miracles, but because of how he encouraged the believers. And I'm going to give a shout out right now to, you know, sometimes pastors learn things uh, from you in the congregation as we study the Bible together. And I'm going to give a shout out to Valerie Wern, who always reminds me and has in the past that it's Barnabas, A-S, not Barnabas, like you would catch the bus, right? Just remember that, okay? Barnabas, that's, thank you, Valerie. Well, we learned in Acts 4.36, that's when Barnabas first uh, was named, that when he first came into the fellowship of the church, he was a Levite from Cyprus named Joe. Yeah, yeah, it says he's a Levite, which was one of the tribes of Judah, from Cyprus named Joseph. But the apostles gave him the name Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Because he was such an encourager, he got a new name. A nickname. So for all the rest of Christian history, we no longer refer to him as Joe. He's Barnabas because he's an encourager. He played a a vital role in helping the early church welcome Saul after his conversion. He's the one who stood up for Saul and said, this is a changed man. And the rest is history. And he played an important role in the early church in Antioch as an agent of encouragement. And his encouragement was contagious because we find out at the very end of our text today that the, that the disciples in Antioch provided help as they were able to their fellow sisters and brothers. That encouragement caught fire. You know, commentators on team sports talk about particular players who are good for team dynamics, and they call them either a glue guy or a glue girl. I don't know if you've ever heard that expression before. They're that person who's not a star. They may not score as many points or goals or runs or whatever, but they are that team player. They're good for the locker room, and teams need those people. Those are sons and daughters of encouragement in teams. And the church needs people like that, who encourage one another in the midst of the highs of winning and the lows of losing. Think about the glue guys and the glue girls that that help your family stick together, that help your work teams at work stick together, that help this church stick together. And now consider how Jesus calls all of us to serve in that role as we are together in the body of Christ. Travel, especially when we go far distances, can be exhilarating can't it? The sights we see, the people we meet. But it can also be exhausting. Have you ever lost your patience in the middle of a trip? Perhaps even with your fellow journeyers? That can happen. the, The classic case of that is the family vacation in the station wagon. But we can get tired. We can get physically tired from all those steps and stairs and and things like that in our travels. So so we get tired. We need encouragement. We can also get tired of our company at times. And so having those agents of encouragement among us to just gently, gently move us forward, to gently remind us with kindness that we're really all on the same team. That's a calling. And is God calling you to that particular calling here in our church, moving into the future. 
I want to end with this illustration of life together, Christians committed to koinonia. You know, throughout the history of the church, there have been countless expressions of true koinonia community in the church. And one particular one from the previous century took place in the middle of Nazi Germany in the 1930s. A seminary for women and men training for the ministry Uh, trained by the confessing church who were standing their ground against the Nazi influence in the German church. They knew life ahead was going to be risky. In fact, some of those who were part of this seminary at Finkenwalde uh, lost their lives because of their commitment to the gospel. But they were trained in this seminary by a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And Bonhoeffer made Christian community, koinonia, the center of the the curriculum. And he ended up writing his curriculum up in a book, which we have studied here at North Creek, and it's called Life Together. I want to read a few quotes, profound quotes, that are worth hearing again and again, and perhaps especially because of what we have experienced in the last few years because of COVID. Here are three powerful quotes. The Christian cannot simply take for granted the privilege of living among other Christians. It's a privilege that there are groups of Christians living in places in the world today where it is illegal for them to have the blessing that we have right here, right now. Let us never forget that. Second quote, the physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer, especially if you consider what it would be like if we were alone and isolated and had to go it alone, and if that was God's plan. You know, I hear a lot of people saying, man, Kurt, I don't know how people handle life and its challenges without a faith, and that is true. But it's also true to extend that to koinonia because we experience the power of our faith also through the encouragement of our sisters and brothers in Christ. Amen? And then there's this, which I think is a, it's just a profound, it, it's powerful for me to consider. This is Bonhoeffer writing. Of course, what is an inexhaustible, an inexpressible blessing from God for the lonely individual is easily disregarded and trampled underfoot by those who receive the gift every day. It is easily forgotten that the community of Christians is a gift of grace from the kingdom of God, a gift that can be taken from us any day. Let them thank God on their knees and realize it is grace, nothing but grace that we are still permitted to live in the community of Christians today. In any era, let us not take that blessing for granted. Let's keep this in mind as we travel forward into our future as a congregation, making literal togetherness a purposeful priority for us and relating to one another with encouragement. Amen.